following is a production of DallasCowboys.com and the Dallas Cowboys Football Club. How about this, Cowboys? Yeah! This, this is Mick Shots, streaming live on DallasCowboys.com and the official Dallas Cowboys app. Now, here are Bill Jones, Everson Walls, and Mickey Spagnola. And here we are. It's another edition of Mixed Shots, and I guess officially this is the start of the National Football League offseason, although the Cowboys got a head start on the National Football League offseason. And uh, we are here to bring you up to speed on all things Cowboys. Bill Jones, Everson Walls, Mickey Spagnola, as we look back at what happened on Sunday evening in Tampa, Florida, and look ahead to what's going to happen with your Dallas Cowboys as things uh, start getting very busy leading up to the start of free agency just over a month from now. All right, Everson, since you were the first to join us, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you get the first word. Just to pull back the curtain, Everson just joined us. And so you get the first word, Everson. Well, I must say I was very, very disappointed in the Super Bowl itself. Proud for Tom Brady, but boy, talk about an anticlimactic moment. I was really ready for this, this young versus old, you know, the old, the old lion with the young lion coming up trying to take his pride from him. I thought that's where this was going to be, you know. And you're defending Super Bowl champions in the Kansas City Chiefs. Extremely surprised at their lack of prowess. Uh, they looked like they didn't know what the heck they were doing. And when it's all said and done, just like Spags and I have been talking about with the Dallas Cowboys, offensive linemen might be the most important unit on any field, on any team, on any day in the NFL. The tackles that we saw trying to play and protect the edges for KC was laughable at best. And it reminded me so much of our practice players that we promoted with the Dallas Cowboys. That game, there were certain times when I saw, it, it looked as if when, when Mahomes got the, when the ball was being snapped to him, it was almost as if, okay, when I get this ball, I'm gonna turn around and run the other way to the goal line. And I'm going to see if you guys can catch me. Because every snap, he was running for his life. During the most crucial parts of the game, especially on third down, Todd Bowles, once again, you guys realize just how important he is as well for that Tampa Bay team. Todd Bowles dialed up a blitz or sometimes extra pressure on third downs. And they were so bad on Kansas City's offensive line, there were times when they did not need an extra rusher. Four men on the line was good enough, and we'll talk about this later. But uh, JPP, a guy that we thought was done for in, uh, after 4th of July when he blasted up his fingers, that this was going to be done for him. This guy came and showed up, and let's be real, he was Todd Bowles. He was Todd Bowles' heart and soul for that defense of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 
All right, Mickey, I bet you echo some of the things Everson says. Well, I think he must have read my column yesterday on DallasCowboys.com. I don't, I don't read your column, Spag. Sorry, I don't read your column. <laughs> no, it sounded like you did. Going back to 1980-something, he doesn't read your column, Mickey. He, I, I, think, I think he did because uh, the, the headline was uh, Cowboys Feel Mahomes' Pain. So what's the what's the uh, what's the toughest position in the NFL to find players at the offensive line, and you better not offensive tackle offensive tackle to be more specific. But the whole offensive line offensive tackle you cannot go out into the Super Bowl and play four backups out of five positions, and then one week before the game, you're going to – you had to replace your starting left tackle, right? Pro Bowl tackle, by the way. And you made – you were so short on depth, you had to make three changes to fix one, right? They, they, moved, <laughs> they, they moved the right tackle, who was a backup, by the way, to left tackle – they moved the backup guard to right tackle and then pulled some guy off the bench who hadn't even been with him the entire year and was the third starting right guard to play in the game. And don't you know, Tampa Bay was looking and going, I can't wait to play defense. <laughs> he was pressured. Patrick Mahomes, with a bad foot, by the way, that's going to be surgically repaired on Wednesday, he was pressured on 29 of 52 drops. 29 of 52, that's 50-some percent. And, 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 hey, do you have a category for running for your life? Well, what about that and, one? And there were times he was pressured, but running for your life, that, that was a category. Almost every snap. Uh, and then his receivers decided, well, let's let the ball hit us in the face mask or let's drop the ball or fall <laughs> down. Look, here is the bottom line. On, on Monday morning when they do their uh, normal uh, interview, uh, and of course it was Zoomed, uh, with the, head, the winning head coach and the, and the MVP of the Super Bowl, so Tom Brady, uh, they asked Tom Brady what he was t- saying to Pat Mahomes after the game. And he basically paraphrased what he said, but here was his quote. It's almost impossible to play quarterback under duress like that, just the reality of football. Pat was doing as much as he could to make plays last night. He was running around, he was reversing field, he was doubling back, tripling back. In the end, it's tough to do that consistently when you feel, God, every play for a six-yard game, I got to fire the ball in there, thread the needle between two guys. That's tough to play like that. And to me, that was the, the bottom line and how well the Cowboys know with all the injuries uh, and movement they had on the offensive line all season long. Hey. They could have just called the Cowboys and said, what's it going to be like to play with two backup offensive tackles and, and, and your, your, third, your third top tackle basically played the year because he was hurt, and then you had to play with a backup at center 
because your Pro Bowl center retired, and then he gets hurt, and now you got to play with a rookie who takes over and plays well at center, Tyler Beatish. Oh, by the way, he gets hurt, so now you got to go back to the backup, and the only guy left standing on the offensive line, Zach Martin, he ends up with a concussion, he switches positions, and now he gets hurt, and they lose him. So... When everybody wonders why the Cowboys finished six and ten, and there's various reasons, you look at what happened on that offensive line, and you say, "Okay, go try to win a game." Much less try to do that in the Super Bowl. And by the way, I wore black today. I thought we were wearing black for Black History, and then you guys come in. No, I said, I said. We were representing black. I have my black college Hall of Fame shirt on. Okay. We were representing black. I thought okay, we were supposed be clear. to. But I like your style, Spags. You look good. You and, look good. And I thought I'd support the university that's now ranked 10th in the nation in basketball, okay? Oh, see, now you just stepped all over my black stuff, man. No, you know, hey, wait. You, now, wait. It's not a, it's not a dual beneficial thing. Yeah, By the way, <laughs> and I'm going to propose this from you, because last night when there was nothing on television to watch, somehow we ended up on KERA-TV, and I saw a documentary PBS. on the Tulsa Race Massacre in 1921. Yes. I had heard all about yes. it. But I'd never seen it to the point where they showed video from back in the day when there were 1,256 houses owned by black folks burned to the ground along with stores, schools, churches in a mass riot in the city of Tulsa. So I did my homework on this black history stuff, by the way. (laughs) Well, we're going to have a ceremony for you to get your black card. Uh, <laughs> you're going to get your ghetto card, man. We got you, man. I'm, I'm going to make sure we know this. I'm going to go to black Twitter, okay. and I'm going to make the announcement. <laughs> you know, uh, and and uh, so is that, you think that would be repeated on KERA, Mickey? Is there a chance we could watch that? Most likely, yeah. Probably. They probably need programming, right? And it was a really good uh, deal because they actually interviewed people uh, who were either part of it or their parents were part of uh, what had taken place. It, it, it was uh, eye-opening, to say the least. Especially when i, I got to say, uh, especially when they showed, it happened in more than one uh, black city. Uh, when I say black city, more than one city where blacks were doing extremely well. There was one uh, incident, a young man was telling a story about he was in his uh, college class, his college classroom, and his professor was talking about one of those incidents that happened uh, against black people by whites and the the, the white uh, supremacists and even the law enforcement, how they joined in. And uh, He was hearing the professor tell this story, and it was about his own hometown. Now, he's younger. You know, he's of this this generation. I would say he's around 30-plus years old right now. So he's hearing about these horrible incidents and about his own hometown. And he had never heard the story before, so he raises his hand to the professor. He goes, I don't think you know what you're talking about. That's where I'm from, and I have never heard this story before. 
So it's one of those things where, uh, as shocked as he was, blacks and whites were complicit in not even repeating what happened. You know, you can't even bring it up anymore. People have died. You've lost uh, 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 your whole uh, wealth, all your wealth that you have, anything that you own. Hundreds of black families had that happen to them. And they tried to say, don't even repeat it again. It happened over like 100 years ago. He had no idea that this had happened in his hometown. So... That is amazing. That's an amazing dynamic to me that blacks don't even want to talk about what happened to them because of fear of retribution. And whites don't want to even repeat it, of course, because of their complicitness in it. So that was just a very interesting dynamic that may have I'm sure it's happened more than we know. And of course, things will probably come out uh, more in the future. But. That is an amazing, like I said, an amazing dynamic for no one to speak of it as bad as it was. It was almost like the Capitol insurrection, you know, trying to act like it didn't happen. And then 100 years from now, we wouldn't even know that this happened. That's how much it was covered up. Sad stuff. Sad stuff. Mickey, uh, for, well, and, and for you, Everson, as well, the rest of the Super Bowl, what was your favorite part of the Super Bowl? Mickey, you, you know, uh, I didn't have Everson, a favorite part. Go ahead, Everson. <laughs> I'm going to have to think about this. I, I just didn't have a favorite part. I was, I was, you know, I thought the Chiefs would do better as I saw things uh, developing. It just, you could just see that was going to happen. It was like watching the Cowboy game uh, back before they even started getting their, their feet under them, their legs under them. I think the most uh, telling part of the game was when uh, Winfield Jr., he put the two fingers up in Tyreek Hill's face. That was something that was extremely telling because that means he took their heart. When he did that, that he's taking, he, he took his brand away from him at that point. He took his whatever self-esteem that he had at that moment. As a defensive back, I've never been a guy to, 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 to shove it in someone's face. But as much as he was being... Uh, beaten in their first meeting this season, that little instant of payback, retribution, it can hurt sometimes when you're on the other end of it. You know, uh, other than seeing Bruce Arians uh, able to celebrate afterwards for a guy that's been in the league uh, as long as uh, as he, he's been, uh, to see that to see Todd Bowles have the success he did, uh, basically, you know what? Basically, understanding with his front four that against the scrubs, we probably don't need the blitz. We're going to play our little cover two and cover deep, by the way, to make sure they don't get behind yeah. us. And we're just going to rush with our front four to put pressure on Mahomes and then cover the middle with two linebackers that can play uh, awfully well uh, and, and basically Very shut, active linebackers. Yeah, it shut down an offense uh, that was supposedly not able to be shut down. But maybe my favorite part was seeing a guy like Leonard Fournette 
who had a wonderful career in college and was just being laid to waste in Jacksonville and ended up on the waiver wire at the start of the season that Tampa Bay picked him up to run for a touchdown. And not only run for a touchdown, but put it in a gear where guys that had the angle on him could not catch him till he got to the end zone. And I felt so good for him. Always thought he was a good guy. Uh, and for him to have that success, uh, what were they calling him, playoff Lenny? Well, now they can call him Super Bowl Lenny. <laughs> good stuff. And you, you know, Bill? For me, uh, well, for me, you know, Everson, you talk about Antoine Winfield, and I thought that one of the most compelling parts, of, aside from the quarterback talk, when you break down the two teams and when you apply it to what the Cowboys could use on their team, one of the most compelling aspects of, the, of watching these two defenses is to see Antoine Winfield, the playmaking safety, who is is sort of a Tyron Matthew clone, and it's not a coincidence that Todd Bowles has him on that Tampa Bay team, that he targeted him in the draft, that this is a guy that I want in, in my secondary. And I, says, I think also, Everson, it says a lot about him. What you're talking about, as a rookie, he's got the confidence in his own abilities that he stands up to a Tyreek Hill or, or whatever. But aside from that, you know, Bowles was at Arizona – when Tyron Matthew was drafted by the Cardinals. I think Bowles, when he saw Winfield in this draft, he could have a Tyron Matthew-type player in his secondary. And he, and he showed it. I mean, he played at a level this season where he, along with Chase Young with Washington, are neck-and-neck neck NFL Defensive Rookies of the Year, I believe. All right. But then the one sequence in this game, with all the talk about Tom Brady and everything, at the end of the first half, when Brady's throwing for the end zone, gets the, uh, the uh, P.I. call, and then he's got, got it right on the goal line with precious seconds left, and it's Tyron Matthew and Antonio Brown, and Antonio Brown runs a little pivot move in the end zone on Tyron Matthew. Hell of a and move, Bra too. Hell of a Brady, move. Brady fires a missile into his gut for the touchdown that that gave them a lead that turned out to be insurmountable. And then when Brady, you know, the the you see the offensive lineman go up to Brown in the end zone and Matthews right there and Brady goes up there and he is shouting <laughs> something in Tyron Matthews' ear. And then we, we we had to piece it together later to see exactly what happened there and then Matthew comes at Brady. Matthew winds up getting a uh, uh, unsportsmanlike Person conduct power. penalty, but that whole sequence there, when you break it down to one little sequence in the game, and you've got the star power on both sides, Brady, Honey Badger, Antonio Brown and his story, scoring a touchdown in the Super Bowl, I just think that all came together there that was my favorite moment of the entire uh, game right there. Well, two yeah, I have to say, and, and two I, things I, about that, I, by the way. Number one, to me... That was a BS interference call in the end zone. If a DB, Thank you. If the DB can't hold his ground when the wide receiver runs into him uh, and then you get called for interference, are you serious? Uh, and, and then number two, so... Not to mention the fact it probably was an uncatchable ball. Yeah. That's the entire that. thing, and that, Bill. And that's that also, it. And that also, right? And then on top of it, yeah. and, 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 and I kind of like the byplay between 
between Tom Brady uh, and, and Tyron Matthew. But Brady got his say in, and then when Matthew got his say in, maybe what he said wasn't as <laughs> as, as cordial. And he gets the 15-yard penalty, not Tom, you know, who, who kind of instigated a little I, bit of I have it. a feeling that what Brady said wasn't very cordial either because Brady yeah, yeah. didn't look like him an apology. So how do you – how do you? How he do you, wasn't saying good coverage on that play. I'm pretty sure that wasn't the message. How, how does that – how does that – you know, where's the equitable in that, you know? It's like, come on. You know, it they was like the, they, they it was like that it early. It was like that early personal foul on was it Chris Jones, where the offensive lineman uh, shoved the Tampa Bay offensive lineman shoved him, and he shoved him back, and then he got the fifteen. It's like, hey, yeah. watch the game. And, and you know, that that's the kind of thing that I was I was not happy about when the I think that kind of started to ruin it for me from the get. They were too involved in the game itself. You know, this is a game to where, as Bill said, all these stars, the star power, you've got the, 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 the storyline, uh, just everything coming together. You've got the coaches with their own stories. This is a team coming back to the Super Bowl getting handled. They're defending champions. They're getting handled. They look like they didn't even want to play. The moment they came out of the shoot, they didn't look ready to play. So, yes, all of that dynamic, referees should let that play out. Especially when you're talking about that long flag. It's almost as if the referee, it was a late flag. It's almost as if he, he, he was considering, should I put my, inject myself into this situation or not? And he decided to do that. That was a bad uh, uh, call. It may not have had anything to do with the, uh, uh, the overall uh, uh, result of the game, but it probably would have made it a little bit more exciting. Because once they got down there, once Tampa Bay was recipient of these flags, you could see Kansas City's defense realizing we don't play well from behind. And they never have played well from behind because you're, de- you're dealing with a, a defense that has always had the luxury of playing from ahead because of Kansas City. Now, the other really? thing that I, let me say this, Bill, before we go. Uh, I talked about how the offensive lineman was so critical for Kansas City's offense. As you finally realize, they have extremely long developing plays. And when you're talking about bringing Tyreek Hill from one sideline, bringing him in motion, and you got him running all the way through the secondary, somehow ending up way over there on I-20 somewhere, it takes time for that to happen. And when you see that you have no time for that, Every time Mahomes was to drop back, they didn't make the adjustment to go to quicker hitting plays. They wanted to go with the big play over and over again. I think they start to read their own news clippings and thinking that that is the way you're supposed to only win games. And they decide to go with the the phenomenal as as opposed to going with uh, the, the consistent, safe, conservative route and drive it down the field. So, so what does that well, you, what you does know. that remind you of? By the way, the, the, the Cowboys <laughs> play in Atlanta in 2017 when they refused to put a tight end next to the poor tackle who couldn't stand up there, or early this season when they were having trouble with these young tackles to not go too tight end more often and call shorter plays that they finally figured out down the line, but not immediately. I was sitting there going, why aren't you going two tight ends? These tackles are terrible. 
They cannot hold up against this defensive line. Why don't you and call Spags, They had to know that they would have issues because your tackles are down. So you would think that they would have that in their back pocket, ready for the adjustment. Well, I, and I read a quote from Andy Reid early in the week, and he basically said, yeah, you know what, what we got on our offensive line isn't pretty. It's like, no kidding, it's not pretty. But you didn't have to have <laughs> them prove it to you. Goodness gracious. <laughs> All right, we need to take a break here. When we come back, you think you want to talk about Drew Pearson? Sounds good, yes. Drew Pearson. Yes. When we come back here on Mix Shots in just a moment. Hey there, Cowboys fans. With Tide Cleaners at home pickup and delivery, cleaning your clothes has never been more convenient. Simply sign up at your local store, set out your dirty clothes, and one of our Tide Cleaners professionals will come directly to your home for a totally contactless experience. Your clean garments will be returned promptly the next scheduled delivery day, so skip the errand and enjoy life, not laundry. Visit TideCleaners.com or your local store to sign up for Tide Cleaners at home pickup and delivery today. The Cowboys way, where 16 Hall of Famers and five championships shows us what success looks like. Where turkey is always the second best part of Thanksgiving Day. Where we are all defined by one single thing, the star. Where we as fans know it's our job to keep the tradition going. Bank of America is proud to be the official bank of the Dallas Cowboys and to support the quest of living life the Cowboys way. Copyright 2020, Bank of America Corporation. Grab some OtterBox gear and get ready for hanging with the boys. From rugged venture coolers to tough as nails elevation tumblers, We've got what you need to keep your game day drinks frosty and your football feast ice cold. And with cases, screen protectors, and power accessories, you can defend your phone and stay connected to every play. Gear up at OtterBox.com and amp up the fun of every Cowboys game. That's OtterBox.com. We're back with a tasty treat that's sweeping airwaves and taste buds. It's new Dr. Pepper and Cream Soda. Let's take a listen. Dr. Pepper and Cream Soda's here. A new combo that's music to my ears, okay. Let's play. Cream soda and Dr. Pepper time. Pour it in a glass of ice. Ah, music to my ears and mouth. New Dr. Pepper and Cream Soda. A delicious duet. Back, back, back. To Mick Shots. Looking for something to change up your dinner routine? Help support local Frisco businesses by choosing one of over 30 restaurants at the Star District. For information on delivery, takeout, curbside pickup, and dine-in options, visit thestardistrict.com. You know, it's uh, been interesting uh, throughout football season there in the Star District uh, at Tostitos Championship Plaza at the Star in Frisco. There have been, at times, Mickey and Everson uh, youth football teams who have uh, conducted their workouts there on the football field there and uh, with parents socially distanced and and, uh, so forth. There's been activity throughout the season. Last night, uh, I was at the uh, Mavericks game in, in Victory Park in downtown Dallas. Uh, they actually had 1,500 fans, that uh, the first fans in attendance at an NBA game in Dallas since March 11th when the pandemic began. Uh, the Mavericks uh, invited 15, uh, 1,500 vaccinated essential workers, uh, gave them free tickets to the game. But it was 
It was like a ghost town down there in Victory Park still in downtown Dallas yesterday. Uh, you know, you, you don't have the fans. Uh, when, when you don't have the fans around an event, you, you really realize how much you miss fans at, at games. And uh, it's taking it to the National Football League, and it's, it's remarkable to see what the NFL has been able to pull off in having a season uh, in, obviously in Dallas with up to 30,000 fans in the stands and uh, being able to do it safely and get all the way through the Super Bowl. Um, you know, there's a, not a lot of people, uh, Mickey, six months ago who thought it was possible that everything would come off. Uh, and there, there were hiccups along the way, bumps in the road, obviously, along the way. But to be able to play the Super Bowl on time uh, was pretty remarkable considering where we were six months ago. Not to say we're out of it by any means. Yeah, I, and, and you're absolutely right. And, you know, I, I had written last week on DallasCowboys.com about the accomplishment of the NFL having – getting ready to play a Super Bowl on time, that no games were canceled. Now they, one or two, what, postponed (laughs) along the way, and it wasn't perfect. But if if you looked at what took place over the course of uh, the season, uh, to to get to that point uh, where other leagues, you know, had to either go in a bubble uh, or they had to, you know, cancel games once they started up again, uh, and postpone them. The, the fact that they got there on time, I thought, not only was remarkable about what the league did, uh, but I think a tribute to the players uh, for keeping themselves uh, basically for the majority, uh, you know, uh, quarantine themselves, and for the the and the, their families, <laughs> the families and the medical staffs too. By the way, and 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 since I mentioned that, also should point out that uh, this year's Ed Block NFL Athletic Training Staff uh, of the Year was the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, so kudos to Jim Maurer and Britt Brown, wow. Greg Gaither, and Hanson Yang uh, for the job they did with this team. Right. Uh, with the amount of injuries that they had to deal with, uh, dealing with the pandemic, and Jim was the guy that was the lead of their COVID-19 uh, response team. Uh, for them to get this team to the end of the season, I think they only had, what, uh, two, three guys miss uh, a game or having to go into quarantine, uh, I thought was quite uh, re- remarkable that uh, that took place. but. Yeah, to, just to see this come off the way it did, uh, it, it was, uh, I thought, uh, quite quite an accomplishment. I would have to say, guys, looking at this situation and looking like where we are right now, sports, trying to play sports in a pandemic, that Ed Block Award, <laughs> that's probably the most important Ed Block Award <laughs> ever yep. issued. We have never had a situation like this, and the teams that handled it better ended up being in the Super Bowl. But you have to look at it the other way. The teams that were uh, presented with unusual circumstances, and for the Cowboys to be able to come out ahead on that and be recognized, that's pretty good, Spags. I mean, you, I'm sure they take credit all the time. Any Ed Block Award recipients 
take credit, take, uh, they, they really take a lot of pride in that. I would think this particular time, you would have to take even more pride because of the situation that's going on. Should have been part of the you know, Saturday the, the, night the, NFL honors show. Uh, they, they gave out all the awards yeah. along with introducing the uh, new uh, guys elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Um, you know, man of the year, MVP, offensive, defense, a whole thing, right? This should have been in there because of just what uh, That's Everson right. said. That's right, Spags. All right, and, and one other note on that. The other thing that, that's amazing about it from a, from a football standpoint in the NFL is just from a scheduling standpoint, you don't have the same wiggle room that as far as postponing games as what you do in other sports. I mean, in basketball, you can, you can play three or four games in a week two months from now if you need to postpone games. In the NFL, you had bye weeks that you could play around with. But other than that, there wasn't any wiggle room to get the the the, uh, the calendar done in advance. We saw it throughout college football. So many teams had to not just postpone games; they had to cancel games and play shortened seasons. And uh, for all teams to be able to play uh, 16 games and then to, to have the playoffs come off without a hitch uh, is something else. All right. As far as the Hall of Fame goes, that Saturday night show, Drew Pearson uh, discovers as he was called to a meeting, a business <laughs> meeting, talking real estate with Jerry Jones and Roger Staubach. And then, lo and behold, who shows up? <laughs> David Baker. How about that? Knocking at the door. So here, here is the greatest, this might be the greatest upset in NFL history that this secret was kept for nearly two weeks, right? Two weeks, because these guys knew, right? Uh, and, and, and not even the people on the uh uh, the 48 members and the seniors committee member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame voting committee, they didn't know w what the results were, but they had voted t middle of January, uh, and the, but they didn't know who made it. Well, the NFL, uh, I, the Pro Football Hall of Fame knew, and they went to all these spots, right, and they... They basically told everybody who made it uh, at least a week or two before the announcement, and the secret was kept. No one let the cat out of the bag. And I'll tell you what, I talked to Drew Pearson on Thursday, and not knowing how the whole thing was going to work, and I said, hey, I'm going to write this. Uh, I'm not going to ask you anything about you know, you know, know, your thoughts. I said, I don't want to jinx you. I said, are, are, are you going? Are, will you be in Tampa? And he goes, yeah, I'm leaving tomorrow to go to Tampa. And I go, do you know how they're going to tell you? And he goes, no, they haven't said how they're going to let us know if it's a Zoom call or if they're knock on the door. <laughs> and then when I found out, I said, oh, Drew played it pretty well because he already knew. Uh, and, uh, and good for him. You know, that was, that was just a side story. But God long, long, long overdue for a guy that played the level he did, the things that he did, finished his career in 1983, so 84 on, he had to wait his five years, and then 33 years in the making to get in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. It was a big mystery why it took so long, but as he told me before he went, he goes, you know what, he goes, as long as you get in, he goes, 
you won't think about the weight. He goes, this, was, this would be big to me, and he said, this would be big to my family, and I'm sure it was yeah. on, on, on both cases. I think T.O. might be the only one that might disagree with you on that. <laughs> well, you know what? And, 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 and if you remember one of your teammates with the Giants, Harry Carson was, you know, kind of butt yeah. hurt because it took him so long to go in. But at least when it was time to go in, he went in graciously. He didn't, you know. Yes, he did. It, it, it sounded like he might not show up, but he did. I mean, it's a once-in-a-lifetime thing. You know, you can't hold that grudge. Because uh, you know now you're going to be in, and people will be able. And this is what I've always said, guys, about the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame, any Hall of Fame. Uh, it's their job to preserve the top stories in the National Football League. Because there's going to be a point where none of us are going to be around to let anybody know about the Hail Mary. There's none of us going to be around uh, to know about some of the other big plays. So stats are one thing, but the history of the league and the stories need to be preserved. And that's the job of the Pro Football Hall of Fame to do that. So, you know, 50 years from now, somebody's going to walk in there and go, oh, so this is how this Hail Mary started, right? Those are the things that need to preserve. And I'm not trying to blow smoke up Everson here, but there's stories that of his career that need to be preserved, right? There's stories of Darren Woodson's career that need to be preserved. And 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 let's do let's get it going. Let's let's get this thing done. So when I go into the Hall of Fame like I did, um, gosh, more than probably 20, 23, 24 years ago, when I went into the Olympic Hall of Fame uh, in Switzerland, and I got to go to a video board and punch Bob Hayes, and up came yeah. his, his winning 100-meter <laughs> dash in the Olympics, right? Those are the things that need to be preserved. Not, you know, not just because he won a gold medal or two gold medals, but you got to preserve that story. I had never, I've heard of it, I'd never seen it. And I, I, I've rarely seen a 100-yard dash or a 100-meter dash where the guy that won was not hanging on at the end. He was continuing to pull away from the field. <laughs> That's how impressive Bob Hayes' 100-meter victory was. <laughs> I told you a long time ago, Spags, my first memory of football, professional football, was Don Meredith to Bob Hayes. Mm -hmm. And they tried it almost every week, more than once, because it took Bob a little while to learn how to, to catch the ball. You know, he was so busy running, he wasn't really that good of a receiver. And eventually he ended up being a, a serious threat to where he, we talk about stories. He actually changed the game. He was like Kareem or Will Chamberlain when they stopped him from dunking the ball. You know, they had to change the rules. And with, with uh, Bob, they had to, to start playing zone. Zone didn't even, it didn't even, there was no zone word. It wasn't used in that manner until Bob Hayes came along. And yes, you're right about those stories, Spax. You know, and one that, one that, and I know we're getting off, but one, one that he told me, and what, 
The uh, Meredith pass, the it was the record long ninety some yards. Ninety nine. Was it ninety? Yeah. Whatever it was. It was. Yeah. So I I remember interviewing him. And I asked him. I said, "So how did all that? I mean, what what was the play? How did all that work?" He goes, "Well, we got in the huddle, and 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 it was cold. I think it." Cleveland, Pittsburgh, something like that. The Cowboys were winning, and 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 he basically said, he said, I got in the huddle, and and he said, Don looked at me, and he goes, Hey, Bobby, it's cold. We've got this thing sewed up. He goes, I need to get to the bench and and and, and have a cigarette. He goes, So why don't you just run down the field as fast as you can, and I'll throw it to you. That's how that play was designed, and there real, was. That's a real man. Let me let me go right. to the bench and have a cigarette. Yeah, let me, it's a real cold. Man. I don't well, I, I don't it. need to be out here any longer. <laughs> but those are the things. That's that's part of the Hall of Fame. It's not all statistics, and unfortunately, I think in this day and age, in our analytical day and age, we worry more about numbers than we worry about the stories of the league. I gotta disagree with you in regards to numbers, Spags. If it was numbers, then Drew would have already been in before Lynn Swan. If it was numbers, then I'd already be in before Brian Dawkins. And and if it was numbers, Cornell Green would have been in before Lynch. So you know, you look at these uh, newly uh, voted in guys, and as we get older, the seniors are falling further and further behind. I remember when I had my opportunity a few years ago, and that was my last modern day opportunity. After that, I went to the seniors. So they said, what happens next, Everson? I said, well, now I have to go back and get in line behind all those guys, <laughs> you know, all the dead people, guys in wheelchairs, guys who, you know, older than me that still deserve uh, recognition. Ken Riley, Ken Riley, that's the story. Playing for the lowly Cincinnati Bengals his entire career. You know how difficult it is to play defensive back well on a team that sucks. Your entire mm-hmm. career. I don't know how, he play, how long he played. I think it was around 15 years. The guy ended up with 65 interceptions or whatever. He has never, I don't think, ever even been considered for Hall of Fame. So to me, if it was numbers... These guys would already be in. What it is now, Spags, it's all about exposure. It's all about notoriety. It's all about, okay, how many TV shows are you on? You know, uh, uh, your buddies, you know, with your particular city or how good your Hall of Fame voter is and how much juice he has. So to me, yeah, numbers are not it. It has gone into a totally other realm when it comes to social media and exposure and people on TV. There's no way Howie Long should be in the Hall of Fame before Harvey Martin. So if it was about numbers, then we'd be talking about a whole different thing. I think they need many more senior writers, or at least writers, regardless of of how old they are, to have some type of empathy towards the guys that played before me and some of the guys that played after me who are now pretty much forgotten about because now we're into the now. Everything's into the now. Everything's into the new. No one wants to talk about when we used to run the ball on first and second down, then throw on third down. But yet Ken Riley still ends up with 60-plus interceptions. So that just lets you know how good he was and what a ball hawk he was. Guys like himself, Cornell Green, people that really need to be in there as Dallas Cowboys, they need to have someone devoted 
to not just, of course, old Cowboys, all those players back in the day that we are trying so quickly to forget about. I still remember those guys because of my age, and they inspired me. So whenever, uh, till the day I die, I'm going, I'm going down fighting for them as well as myself. You know, hey, do you think it impacted John Lynch's chances to get in this God. year that Tony Dungy got added to the selection committee? How does he get in See, ahead of Darren that, Woodson? If you're talking safety, that's what I'm saying. Well, Tony Tony Dungy was on the selection committee this year. He coached him. You know, and 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 the one thing they have done ever since is with the senior committee, uh, they have these older writers there that have seen these things and. Uh, I, uh, I borrowed these stats from uh, Rick Goslin, who had been here at the Dallas Morning News, and he's on the senior committee that nominate these senior deals. He pointed out, uh, and this was back uh, when they first started thinking about this year and who was going to be nominated, there's 22 NFL first-team all-decade selections in the 70s. 21 of them have butts, busts in Canton. The only one that didn't, it was Drew Pearson. There are 10 wide receivers who caught passes in the 1970s in Canton, and he listed all of them. No Drew Pearson. And from 1930, get this, from 1930 through 2010, a span of eight decades, there were 17 wide receivers selected first team all decade. 16 of them are in Canton. The lone exception? Drew Pearson. So how do you figure that this thing continued to go this long before and not only you know till he got in but the fact that when they came up with last year's deal with they were going to have the centennial celebration and they were going to put in 20 guys to make up for what they missed and Drew was one of the selections to be voted uh, into the 20 and he got denied. It was like, gosh, how cruel can it be? And the guy that was second team yes. uh, all decade yes. in the 70s was voted ahead of him. And Harold Carmichael. Harold Carmichael, right? Who finished his finished right. his career with you, right? That's right. <laughs> that was my buddy. That, we're, we're both uh, Black College Hall of Famers, so I was great about that, but <laughs> when it was all said and done, I called him and told him, look, I'm, pr- I'm glad I'm proud you're in, brother. But man, he even he felt guilty. Even he felt guilty. So that's just how bad it was. All right, we got to take a break, and we've got much more to get to. We need to look ahead to what the Cowboys need to do. Uh, just a little brief, little preview of the uh, what uh, the things to do this off season when we come back here on Mix Shots in just a moment. We're back with a tasty treat that's sweeping airwaves and taste buds. It's new Dr. Pepper and Cream Soda. Let's take a listen. Dr. Pepper and Cream Soda's here. A new combo that's music to my ears, okay. Let's play. Cream Soda and Dr. Pepper time. Pour it in a glass of ice. Ah, music to my ears and mouth. New Dr. Pepper and Cream Soda. A delicious duet. Dear, it's 1908. Don't you think we should get electricity? Hmm, and stop using candles to see at night. It's just electricity lights up the room fast. It's more reliable than candles blowing out, and people seem to love it nationwide. Well, candles are... Dear, did you just run into the wall? Nope. 
May I have a new candle, please? Historically, switching to new technology is a no-brainer. Today, it's AT&T 5G. Fast, reliable, secure, and nationwide. Switch to AT&T 5G. It's not complicated. 5G requires compatible plan. May not be in your area. See att.com slash 5G for you for details. I'm Jay Novacek, former tight end for the Dallas Cowboys. Back in the day, I was the guy who always got the tough yards, and that's why I run with John Deere today. In fact, I have a John Deere 3025E tractor that can handle any yard work I need to do, even the tough yards way out back. So if you have one acre or a thousand, John Deere has the equipment that's just right for you. Visit a John Deere dealer today and run with us. We are the official tractor provider of your Dallas Cowboys. There's nothing as unique as our eyes, which is why Essilor pioneers ways to make lenses as unique as you. Verilux for super sharp vision, Essential Blue for protection, and Crizol for freedom from glare. Three cutting-edge solutions in a single unique lens. So whatever your needs, insist on Essilor. Visit your local Essilor experts and find the perfect lens for you. See more. Do more. Essilor. To mixed shots. Let formation meet all your professional needs and channel the winning business tradition of the Dallas Cowboys and the Jones family. Enjoy custom business events developed exclusively by Cowboys front office staff, exclusive amenities, and so much more. Join our community and join the home field advantage of having your business address on Cowboys Way. Get more details or book a tour at formationatthestar.com. All right, we've got uh, 12 minutes or so to go here on uh, this edition of uh, Mix Shots. Uh, I want to mention this uh, before we go further. Uh, the NFL is mourning the passing of Marty Schottenheimer uh, today. Yes. Uh, Coach Schottenheimer passed away at the age of 77, and uh, we should point out that how what kind of impact that Marty Schottenheimer had on Cowboys head coach Mike McCarthy's career. Of course, McCarthy uh, got his first NFL job uh, working for the fellow Pittsburgh native Marty Schottenheimer with the Kansas City Chiefs. He was uh, uh, his, he uh, McCarthy came from the University of Pittsburgh, where he was an assistant coach, and was hired by the Chiefs. Um, uh, did quality control for him first and worked up uh, the ranks uh, with Schottenheimer and the Chiefs throughout his time there, which was through 1998. So I believe McCarthy would have been with him for six years or so. Um, uh, McCarthy uh, spoke with Rick Goslin. Of course, Goslin was in Kansas City covering the Chiefs at the time, was very close to Schottenheimer. He tweeted about him uh, a little while ago, but he had this uh, quote from McCarthy. Uh, on Schottenheimer saying, if it wasn't for Marty Schottenheimer, I wouldn't be saying this because I wouldn't be where I am today. Marty gave me my first NFL opportunity in 1993, but it was so much more than that. He gave this young coach a roadmap for life. Marty's fingerprints can still be felt all over so many things I do every day as a coach, but it is what he taught me as a man that I'll be forever grateful for. Professionally, Marty was the first man I saw open his heart and emotionally reveal himself. He was Pittsburgh proud and the definition of authenticity and genuineness. The six years I spent with him were the most important and impactful years of my coaching career. He was always teaching and emphasizing, even in my first game as a head coach in 2006, which happened to be against Marty. It was ugly. After the game, when we shook hands, 
He patted me on the back, said, kid, trust me, it'll get better, but don't ever forget, make sure to do it your own way. Almost 15 years later, I still lean on those words. Anyway, I think, uh, I think uh, the, the impact that uh, Marty Schottenheimer had on uh, Mike McCarthy was profound. And if you, you look at coaches around the league and players around the league, Everson, you probably have stories of coaches that, uh, or people that impacted you. Uh, and, and Schottenheimer is that guy for Mike McCarthy. Yeah, I was, uh, I was never, uh, we didn't play Cincinnati much when Schottenheimer was there. Uh, but I do recall how they, he was part of that, that chain of, of coaches that really brought in that West Coast offense. And that's where it became a problem for me because the West Coast offense was had uh, We never had um, the same rhythm playing against a West Coast offense. It was something I had to adjust to with 49ers and, of course, uh, with Bill Walsh and, and I think Schottenheimer, they have a connection as well. So, yeah, the coaches that, that really had an impact on me, most of them are gone. Most of them are gone. And uh, I think as you look at it, uh, Gene Stallings was the one that had the biggest impact. Not necessarily so positive, but, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we ended up, uh, you know, really respecting each other and, uh, you know, First meeting wasn't that great, but, you know, coaches just have to realize, and I think they do, as much as they're trying to, you know, keep their own, feed their own family and things of that nature, you know, there's a, there's a trust that has to be there between player and coach. And, and when that trust is there, it can change friendships. You know, to this day, uh, Gene calls me Evie, not Everson. You know, that, that's his term of endearment for me. Uh, because when he first met me, he called me boy. So uh, that was an improvement. <laughs> Heck, he had a, All right, he had a, attention. He had an impact on me the first time I tried to ask him a question, and he didn't like the question. And I said, oh, okay. <laughs> he gives you that look. He gives you that Bear Bryant look. Yes. You don't like it too much. <laughs> oh, that, okay. That deep voice like Bear Bryant. I think it's time to go. <laughs> Somebody's hungry. Is that Everson? Everson, is that from your house? Yeah. It's not from my house. <laughs> All right. And, well, maybe that – you know what that was? That was a tribute to Marty Schottenheimer, who, of course, <laughs> there you go. Browns. He Shout was out to Marty. Browns head coach when the dog pound got started. <laughs> Oh, and so that is the dog out, Bill. The dog pound at Everson's house with a shout out, uh, praise for Marty Schottenheimer right there. All right, let's uh, turn our attention to what the Cowboys are going to be doing here uh, as the we're a little over a month away from the start of the uh, new year in the NFL free agency. There's a there's some things that the Cowboys are going to be doing, preparing for the draft as well. We don't have the combine, but it's going to be very interesting how they scout players this year. And uh, we, we're we turning the, the, the calendar, the page, to officially now, Mickey, to 2021. Yes, hmm. and uh, first uh, point of business for the Cowboys will be to um, to – try to get together with Dak Prescott and both parties knock out a long-term deal 
that are, are very delicate we see for these quarterbacks right now. So uh, I think that's probably their first uh, line of business. Uh, and by the way, we, we found out over the weekend that uh, uh, Dak had a cleanup surgery on his ankle that uh, uh, he broke and f fractured. Uh, so uh, from a physical standpoint, it, it sounds like that was a good thing to take place. He needed it. Uh, so that's mm -hmm. got to get done. And then, the, to me, the, the second line of business is, this is going to go back where we started the show, is to figure out the future health of their offensive tackles. Because there's a lot of offensive tackles available in this draft, uh, and I don't know that you need to use another first-round pick on an offensive lineman, uh, but they've got to figure out from a medical standpoint, Lael Collins, how's the hip? Is it, is it ready to go? Uh, with Tyron Smith uh, having had the, uh, the surgery, disc surgery in his neck, uh, did it clear up all those things that have been bothering him for the last couple years? And is he ready to go? Because if that's the case, then to me, you don't take an offensive lineman with that first-round pick. you got other things that you need to take care of defensively. Uh, but by the third round, to me, I think you've just got a template right there of you better have a credible backup offensive tackle to, to be able to step in and bail you out and not get in the situation they've been at that situ at that position for the last four or five years. Well, I am a different. I am under a different mindset, uh, Spags. We just talked about how important it was for your defense to play well, and how Todd Bowles was blessed with some of the best active linebackers in the NFL. I was, a, I was a product of that in regards to the New York Giants. Pepper Johnson, LT, uh, Gary Reasons, you know, uh, Steve Diossi. When Diossi went up there playing with that 3-2, that I mean, he just blew it up. I think we need some very active linebackers or at least somehow take the ones you have and try and create a space for them to be active and get them more contact with the ball. Because that is one of our weakest points on our team. I think it's the, mo the second most important unit on our squad behind the offensive line. And I said this the other day, and I hope I'm wrong, Spags. Please rebuke me if, if you feel like it. There is a chance, and I'm afraid there may be a chance, that Dak Prescott will not be here with the Dallas Cowboys if, if uh, negotiations continue with the same attitude because it seems like that they are still so far apart and the injury itself I think that is an X factor that is going to determine whether the Cowboys go into this negotiation with more vigor or go into it kind of looking over their shoulder and seeing what they got already. Please tell me I'm wrong. No, uh, I, 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 I think he will be here but here's the deal and, 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 and when anybody talks about this, is like, well, why didn't the Cowboys have him signed? You know, he deserves this. He deserves that. Okay, fine. But from his camp, does he want to bet on himself again? 
knowing that he had an injury that could have ended his career, and he turned his back on $55 million in signing bonus and 110 guaranteed. Does he want to play that game again? Uh, I'm not a big gambler on financial stuff, right? But, boy, if I got that sitting in front of me and, and, and I just had that surgery, I don't know if I want to roll the dice again that, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll just take a one-year deal and then I'll be a free agent the next year. Uh, so I think there's two sides to that, but it has to get settled because we see the quarterback position is pretty important. But I agree with you on the linebacker <laughs> yeah, thing. <laughs> I agree with you on the linebacker thing, and I've only seen I think only one like not edge player, but a, a linebacker linebacker to, to be in mock to to be drafted in the first round, and it's the kid from. You're going to have to help me here, Bill, from Penn State. Part Is it Parsons? Uh, he's he's the only linebacker right. I've seen mocked in the first round. You know what? I'll help you next week with that because now that the Super Bowl <laughs> is over, it's time for me to dive into my big green NFL draft scouting notebook. It's that time of year again, Mickey. Well, and, and, and I just think linebacker, you know, and it doesn't have to be the first round, but maybe the second round. Maybe no, the it does third not. round. It does not have to be the first but, round. But you just have to hit because that linebacker position needs to be, you know, you need three of them. If you're going to play a 4-3 and it sounds like Dan <laughs> Quinn wants to play a 4-3, then you need you like, three you of like them. That, if, you like that Anthony Hitchens for the Chiefs? Heck, Damian Wilson started <laughs> yeah. for hey, him. We can sign him, yeah. And, Where'd he, Where'd he come from? Where'd he come from? And they were both fourth round draft picks. Yes. So there you there you go. So you, you just can, need you to hit on linebackers. Them. Exactly. And and, That's and right. you know, and I understand right. the cornerback thing. What scares me on the cornerbacks that are talked highly of, they didn't play this last year, right? You know, they, they I I worry about your ability to evaluate guys that did not play this last year and 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 I understand the opt out. I get it. I thoroughly get it, but to me when I'm evaluating those guys, uh I I I would be a little bit hesitant uh to say, "Okay, hmm. I've seen this guy play 2 years. Now um, he's good. I'm good to go." So you got to be careful there. Uh so I I I just think this is you're right, Bill. This this offseason is going to be very, very important for the Cowboys to make good decisions. And Everson, you might be right there too. I just saw a little tease on the NFL Network. They showed a picture, a video of Dak Prescott, and the caption at the bottom of it was "On the move?" Question mark. Oh yeah, Ooh, there of course. You go. There's that's your what tease. I love about the. Uh, <laughs> that's what I love about the off season. Just throw something out there we can talk about, right? Oh, yeah. We're going to stand up, Bill. We're going to stand up for Spags, Bill. We're going to stand up. That's right. So we'll stir it up next week. Will Dak Prescott be on the move? Will he still be with the Dallas Cowboys by next Tuesday when we reconvene here on Mix Shots? We'll see you next week. Oh, go Cowboys. This has been a production of DallasCowboys.com and the Dallas Cowboys Football Club. How about this, Cowboys? Yeah!